Welcome to Real Crime NYC, where you'll hear real New York City crime stories told by real New York City cops. We'll also discuss some hot topics that have a law enforcement angle to them. I'm Pat. Join Chris, Bill, and I for this episode of Real Crime NYC, where we'll discuss the recent report of a break-in and assault that happened at the home of Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House and one of the nation's most powerful people. Okay, guys, what do you got? Our priority 910-2640 Broadway, cross of Scott and Normandy. Hey, 14 hour copy. RP stated that there's a male in the home and that he's going to wait for his wife. RP stated that he doesn't know who the male is, but he advised that his name is David and that he is a friend. RP sounded somewhat confused. So for many people, this is not the first time you've heard this radio transmission. It's from a police dispatch on Friday, October 28th, 2022 at 2.23 in the morning. And it's assigning a call to patrol officers in the San Francisco Police Department. The caller was Paul Pelosi, and he was able to speak to a 911 operator from the bathroom of his home. The 911 operator was concerned enough, realizing that Paul was speaking in code, that police arrived on the scene within eight minutes. When police arrived, Paul opened the door, and at some point, they see Paul and the suspect holding one hammer. Police then order them to put the hammer down and the suspect gains full control of it and swings it, hitting Paul in the head, knocking him unconscious. Yeah, so let's before we get into the, the meat of the issue, why don't we just do a quick disclaimer here? We have no real inside knowledge of this case. And with today's media, it's kind of hard to know what is and isn't true. I mean, these people have their own PR uh, operations. They have their own crisis management people. So it's kind of hard with today's media to know what's factual and what's not or what we're not being told. But what we can do based on our many years of investigative experience is tell you what questions we would want answered and tell you how the investigation would go from a New York City perspective. So, Bill, what's the first question you want answers to? You'd want to know everything about David. What I would do if I had the investigation was to do a complete background check on him. What time did he leave the home? I do a a video canvas when he left his home or where he left from to arrive there. And and you kind of map it out exactly where he went. I'd also want to know, was anyone else involved? Is he there alone? Did he plan this with someone else? So I'd want to get all electronic media devices. I'd want to get the phone, his computer. How did he find out about her residence? Was there anyone else involved? His mental capacity. So there's so many questions that I have, but those are pretty much the top ones right off the bat. Yeah, I'd like to consider the, the, the background perspective a little too on Mr. Pelosi. I mean, if you consider it, he's quite a wealthy guy, probably has a lot of time on his hands. He's solo at home. I think we know he likes to party a little bit. He was arrested recently for a DWI, but his wife's away a lot. I'd like to know what his lifestyle is. Does he entertain at home? Does he not entertain at home? Is he a a loner? Has he ever interacted with this individual before, whether it was at the house or not somewhere else? Did he meet him in the street? Does he know this person? Has that person ever been to his residence before? Things like that. That's kind of, I'd like to see both sides of it. I want to know everything I can about that perpetrator and i want to know everything i can about the victim but i agree with both of you guys um but i think a lot of the questions would be answered dissecting that scene um where was the entry point what does the entry point look like is there blood at the entry point 
Um, does it look like the glass was broken in? There's reports the glass was broken outward. Um, everything at that scene is going to tell you what happened. Uh, there's a lot of plausible explanations uh, for everything, and, and we all learned throughout our careers. Uh, some of the craziest and wildest things happen, and they just happen. It, it's, there's Never no rhyme assume. or reason to it. Uh, Never assume, right. Uh, I think the key person here was the uh, 911 operator. Uh, she knew something was going on. She didn't like what she heard. He left the line open for a reason. She heard the dialogue in the background. And uh, it's it really a credit to the San Francisco Police Department getting there within uh, eight minutes. Um, you know, they, they saved his life. But once you figure out the scene, now you could go into everything else. You could go into today's background. You go into uh, what did he do prior, the days leading up to it. What's his lifestyle like? Is it politically motivated? Is it burglary? Uh, is, was it a burglary for for uh, proceeds, for money, for cash, for jewelry. Uh, all of these things come down the road, but first we have to know exactly why he was there. Well, it seems a little odd that he was able to make this uh, 911 call and then keep the line open. And it appears from what I've read that he was able to move kind of freely around the house. Now, you have to take into consideration, this is an elderly man. He's not gonna mix it up with this guy. I think he's in his 80s you know so he's not going to mix it up physically with this guy but kind of makes you want to ask the question hey if, if he was able to move freely around the residence why didn't he just bolt out of it you know it's a question i would want to know there's probably a good reason why not and it might just be his age but if you're able to walk into the bathroom and make a phone call without the the perpetrator knowing it you know maybe you could have walked out the front door and just ran to a neighbor's house well it's this was a three-story house um, I don't know what the square footage was, but it seems uh, very, very large. Uh, so, again, you have an eight-minute timeline at this point. Uh, he's woken up in the middle of the night. The size of the house probably is the reason why he doesn't hear the break-in, uh, and he probably does whatever comes to his mind. Uh, maybe he does have to go to the bedroom. Maybe he's nervous, and, and he uses it for his benefit. And it worked out. It worked out for him yeah, in the long run. Yeah, it does sound like they had quite a conversation. Uh, between the two it's not like someone broke in and attacked him the attack really didn't happen until you know the police were involved and it's kind of odd you know I'd, I'd want to figure out you know how is it that the police arrive and he goes to answer the door and then instead of staying with the police he runs back and tries to get the hammer from the other guy and that's when he ends up getting assaulted and it was a pretty vicious assault I mean he is an older guy and it did you know, crack his skull. It could have been deadly. Well, according to the body cam videos from the responding police officers, uh, he doesn't hit him with the hammer until the police enter. And once they enter, and, and that's common. That's common. Once the police well, enter, usually people feel a little right. People feel a little comfort that they could do what they want, and there's going to be protection there. So uh, he engages, and unfortunately. Uh, Paul gets uh, hit in the head with the hammer fracture. Yeah, it might stone. have actually been an attempt to kind of reclaim, you know, some sense of control over his own residence and, and the situation that happened. You know, the police are here. I'm going to go take the hammer from that guy. This is my house. Chris brought up a good point before as far as he breaks the window to get in. And that, that is speculation, glasses on the outside as compared to the inside. I'd want to know, is David injured? He's hitting that glass with a hammer. I would assume that some of those shards of glass would have cut him. We haven't heard, was he injured? So now he's holding a hammer with Paul. They're struggling over the hammer. Police arrive, and he ends up hitting Paul over the head with the hammer. 
you know, was he injured when he did that? You know, it's reported that he was tired. He was carrying his backpack, all the items that he brought with him, and he wanted to take a nap. Police are reporting that David had a hit list and Nancy was one of them. He wanted to question her and break her kneecaps if she was lying. So these are all things that, you know, come out. I just think that in order to get facts out there, they really need to present something to the public. And also, if there's a hit list, they need to warn people that are on this potential hit list that their lives may be in danger. Are other people involved? Is David in it by himself? What's his mental capacity? And did other people put him up to this? I'm sure they've already notified those other people. They have a real responsibility to let the other people on that list know. And actually, I believe the Congress has authorized a $10,000 payment to every representative for personal home security uh, just after this happened so that members that might be on that list or members in other states, they all have some kind of a threat, can actually kind of fortify their own personal residences so that while they're away, their families are safe. So they have kind of looked at that angle a little. But why let these conspiracy theories go on? A normal burglary in New York City, we have ECTs, evidence collection teams respond. They process it for prints and DNA. On an attempted murder or a kidnapping, they'd have crime scene respond. Did either respond in San Francisco? And then on a regular burglary, we post a wanted flyer of the person, what he was wearing, what he looked like when he committed that burglary. Why not take a body cam or those cameras United States Capitol Police had? They were recording. Why not just take an image of them and put it out there? Supposedly, I mean, it come out that he was in underwear, and then now you have on the affidavits that he's wearing shorts with pockets. Why not just put a post, a picture out? Hey, this is the individual. This is David. This is what he was wearing. This is how he entered. No, just put a picture of how he broke, you know, maybe while he was breaking the glass. Now it puts all the speculation aside. It puts all the conspiracy theories aside. And you just get back to the facts. That That's a great point, Bill. And uh, to your point, let people decide for themselves. Put that picture out. Let people decide whether it's underwear or shorts. I would like to see the full body cam uh, footage from those police officers that respond. I would like to see the security video from the house. And I would like to hear the full content of that 911 call. Unless there's something really, really personally revealing in that 911 call, why not put it out and, like you said, dispel all the, all the theories? Let people decide for themselves what went on by providing them with the facts. So I think you hit the nail right on the head there, Bill. Bingo. Well, I think there's one thing we've all learned. Local police departments are more concerned with communities, uh, communities' opinions and, and how they receive information. Um, the feds generally don't interact with communities. Everything they do is confidential. So I would only assume there's a, a confidential component to this that they don't want released. I'm not saying there's conspiracy, but they're not concerned about the neighbors, the neighborhood. Chris, the lead investigative thinks. unit on this is the San Francisco Police Department. They charged him in the state courts with attempted murder and assault with a deadly weapon. The feds get involved and they charge him with assault and attempted kidnapping. You've been involved with many, many cases involving the feds. And you're right, the local police, they, they owe it to the public to let them know the facts. They owe it to the public to let them know what happened. Is there any safety issues involved? Any future potential for violence? And in a case like this, take the politics aside. 
They need to let the public know. Dieted him on Wednesday on the federal charges. The state charges may be you know, pushed to the side for now, but still the local police have an obligation to let the public know. Is anybody else in that community in danger? Is any other politicians in danger? Did the judge seal that court record? I'd like to know, because if he didn't sign that court record, I mean, obviously, if they wanted to hold things back, they could and still make their case in court. But if not, if he didn't specifically seal it, that's a public record. You know, it's accessible. And, and I agree with you, Bill, 100 percent. But we all know the way this is going to unfold. The federal charges are going to supersede the state charges. They're going to prosecute him in federal court for the kidnapping charges, and he'll see more time than an attempted murder on the state level. So I think uh, when the state, when the local police run a comparison case with the feds, they're going to play nice in the sandbox. They're going to defer to the federal government to see how they want to handle it before they do anything, before they make any moves. And if there is some, the, if the there is something the, in there that they want to hold back. You know, they could put the factual stuff out, like I'm saying, and hold that individual piece of information back if they want. It's done all the time for investigative reasons. If there's one or two things they want to hold back, they can hold that back. But for God's sakes, put out the video, put out the 911 call, you know, let people make up their own mind. You know, if this happened the way they say it happened, or is there more to it? Well, the purpose under... There's no danger well, to the community that, that you know uh, of. Is is there someone else that we involved? know of? Correct. I mean, you're you're telling me that you know you look at all the past incidents, the potential for others to be involved, the potentials for others to even possibly put David up to this. What you want to know? This guy David has a hit list. How do you know there's not other people involved in that? So this guy's a loner. Do we know this that? This guy's a loner. He lived in a garage for the, the preliminary investigation. This guy's lived in a garage for three years by himself. And again, you're well, right. You you're saying preliminary investigation, dive. or it, are you reading that off of the, the media reports? This is based on the reports, correct. So you're going to do a deep dive to figure it out, but you know the feds aren't going to give information out right away. It's going to, it's going to drag on. It's going to take a few weeks. It's going to take a few months, and then they're going to let everything out. I think right now it's too early. I think it's too early to depend on the feds to give you what you're asking for. If you're going to say the local police to calm the community, then I agree with you. But I don't think the feds are as quick as you get. Well, you know, some of the media outlets uh, were jumping the gun. And it's not just the feds and the local police that are putting information out. You know, the local media and the national media initially uh, jumped to the conclusion that because, you know, we had this hit list and. He, he may have said that he wanted to uh, kidnap Nancy Pelosi, that automatically he was some kind of a right-leaning extremist. And then when you look into it, like you mentioned, Chris, you know, he lives in a garage. But if you take a look at that garage, just so you can see from outside, there's, uh, there's indications that he's actually a left-leaning individual himself, or at least uh, is a fan of affinity groups that uh, identify with the left. Um, there was a BLM flag hanging. There was an LGBT flag hanging. And, you know, those aren't usually associated with right wing extremists. So the media dropped that angle right away. And you heard crickets after they saw where he lived. So a lot of what we're seeing probably is being skewed by the media one way or another. And it's not factual. So when we've done our investigations in the past, right, we'll go back to the perps residence. We'll do a search run on the residence. We'll take a low electronic devices. We know within the first few days how this investigation is going. We, it may take longer to get phone records and do comparisons and, and look for uh, co-conspirators, but we know 
after searching their residence, that remember this guy, he's not a wealthy man. He's living in a garage. He has nothing else. We know once we come out of there, we got hammers. We didn't get firearms. We didn't get explosive devices. We whatever whatever uh, written material or electronic material. We kind of know within the first day or two where this investigation is leading. When you searched the house, was there a search warrant done on David's house? Was there a search warrant done on the garage? What, did he have a vehicle? And was there a search warrant done on his vehicle? The local DA did the press conference on this. Never a mention of the search warrants. Now, I'd want to know what's in his house. I'd want to know, is there other evidence within his house? Was he planning something else? And we're not getting an answer on that. So I, I, I would respectfully say law enforcement, at whether it's the local, state, or federal level, need to come out forward and just put on a table what they have, the facts that they have. Yeah, but you know, Bill, we've done it many, many times. There may be other angles they come up with while they're doing this investigation, and they don't want to put that information out yet because they may have discovered something that needs even further investigation. Now, that's something you could hide behind if you want to not release information. But you and I both know we've held stuff back and taken the heat from the public, but we're doing it for the investigation. So we may never know. Do you believe there was a search warrant done on his home? I do. And here's, here's a little something that, you know, just popped into my mind. You know, if, if he's basically down on his luck, hard, hard luck guy, he's living in a garage, you know, I'd want to learn a lot from where he lives. You can learn a lot from where a person lays their head every day. But again, you can't jump to conclusions. So I would want to see his recent internet and text and emails, what he's done recently, because the BLM flags, the LGBT flags, the, you know, other affinity organizations that might be represented in that home, for all we know, there could have been squatters there, or he could have had protesters there, or the landlord could have when the protests were happening in San Francisco, and he just left them up when he moved into that garage. I would bet the bank that the feds were in his house within 24 hours. I'm giving it a little extra time here, but I would bet any amount of money they were in his house immediately, being who's involved, being the federal, the feds are handling it. They probably had a judge on standby. They briefed him and got a verbal, waited for the paper later. I would bet any amount of money on it. They definitely got it to his house. Did crime scene process the incident scene? Well, I, I can't speak for San Francisco's policies and their procedures. I don't know what they do in San Francisco, but you're right. A, a higher level of an evidence technician should have handled this, this case. In New York City, it would have been crazy. Wherever you are, it's an SOP. Attempted murder, kidnapping, crime scene comes there, they process it. Was it done in this case? Well, I don't even see reports of blood at the scene, but you're right. There should be. I did see, however. Paul Pelosi was bleeding after he got struck with the hammer. It's very possible the perp wasn't bleeding up. I'm talking about David. I'm talking about it was David upon entry. Maybe he was invited in. I mean, he's also facing deportation. So now you're going to, is he going to get deported? Maybe for all he's of this He's got to get convicted and do his time first. That... Then maybe we'll deport him. Odd. We usually assume uh, when we hear illegal immigrant that they're from south of the border, you know, Central America, Mexico, South America. It's, it's odd just to think of, you know, hey, he's an illegal immigrant from Canada. We kind of consider Canada, Canada another state. This case has mental illness written all over it. And whether it's politically motivated or, or something else sets him off, uh, he's a left-wing conspiracy theorist one day, and the next day he's a right-wing. He's a total extremist. Um, he has mental illness. He has a history of mental illness. 
reality, it sh- he should have been probably instituted Agreed. a long time and ago. And a lot of times we try to attach a logic to someone's actions when they're mentally ill and there is no logic to their actions. But, you know, as investigators, we try to put things in nice, neat little boxes and explain them all. Sometimes people do things that are just unexplainable because they're mentally ill. Well, in 2013, he was a big advocate of the uh, public nudity movement in San Francisco. So that, that just tells you what you're dealing with here. Anything could have set this man off. You mix that in with mental illness, and he's a time bomb. Yeah, I think a lot of the answers we're looking to, you know, to get, we're probably not going to get because of that. We're, like, again, we're looking to assign logic to this, and a lot of it's probably going to be illogical based on his mental capacity. But, you know, why not answer the questions you can answer and give them to us? Let us make up our own mind. By holding information back, they're just feeding the conspiracy theory. Um, but on the other hand, as, as a, a former detective, you know, I'm thinking, you know, maybe there's something they're holding back because there's more to investigate here about him. Well, again, it, it- in any federal case, when have you seen them uh, forthcoming with all the information in the beginning? It takes a long but time. Chris, for the, the federal local government DA to get got that up at a press conference and was giving information, providing details of this case. Why didn't the alarm go off when the window was broken? There's so many questions that need to be answered. And it's not like by answering these questions, it's not divulging information that's going to compromise the successful prosecution of this individual. It's about letting people know to put out those flames. The fire could be put out just by getting up there and putting the facts out there. There's no harm in putting the facts out. A 15-minute press briefing could probably put That's all it. of this to bed. And if you wanted to hold something back, you still can. The basic investigative information that would be put out there on any case, and even on high-profile cases. Remember that guy drove along the West Side Highway? And he struck all those people, right? Within 24 hours, we knew it was terrorist-related. We tracked down where he got the vehicle from. We tracked down the receipt. We went to the locations. And I would say with this guy, David, did they track down? Where did he get the zip ties? Where did he get the rope? These are basic investigative steps that are done day in and day out. Just give the information. Just tell us that you did it. You want to know who this person is. You want to know where he works, if he works. You know, did he do this before? Like, I would say this. Do we know if David has done something similar before? Did he kill somebody that we don't know of? These are basic things that need to be done or the public needs to know. You definitely bring up a lot of good points, and I do agree with you. But again, I think the feds aren't concerned about the community. They're not concerned about what the people think. Uh, And again, you have Nancy Pelosi. I'm sure she's pulling the strings. You, You know, you're not just dealing with... The FBI or law enforcement, you're dealing with the Speaker of the House. I'm sure she has a, a, a say in what goes on. Uh, and she's not thinking like we're going to think. She's not going to think like police department, like the police officers. You don't know what's going on behind the scenes. Crisis management is going on. They want to portray this in the best light strategically for them. So they're going to portray it with the facts as they see them that benefit them. Now, when you say, you know, The feds don't have to deal with communities. They don't have to be concerned with them. You know, the way I look at that sometimes is they have that benefit. 
they can do their investigations without have to worrying about that. And it does help sometimes. So that's not always like a, a pejorative when you say that, you know, they're free from that entanglement sometimes, whereas like we were in the NYPD, it was always a consideration, you know, what, what you're going to do, you know, as far as letting the public know this or holding something back. And then sometimes politics enters it, you know, and, and someone from the political side says, well, we want this out. And from the police side, you'd rather hold it back. And uh, that's always that's always a balance that you have to have to work with. But a lot of times the feds don't have to do that. It, it could be a plus. It could be a minus. Um, and, I, and I think in the, in the early years and we used to say this about Ray Kelly, he used to want the information out there right away. And we would be on the scene saying why we didn't even get into the investigation. And he wanted this information out there. But in retrospect, you see how when the information does get out there, it kind of calms yeah, you want, the You want to get get the information out a lot of times just so that it doesn't build up a negative momentum. I used to hear feed the beast. We need to feed the beast. Ah, Commissioner Bratton used to say feed the beast. Usually at the end of our podcast, you have more answers than questions. Not today, folks. I suspect we won't have the answers for quite some time, if ever. And that's that. Thanks for joining us for this hot topic on Real Crime NYC. I'm Pat. I'm Bill. And I'm Chris. See you when I see you.